It's the book of Acts, chapter 25, beginning with verse 13. That's where we'll start. We're going to go all the way into verse 20, chapter 26. The translator heading of our first section reads, Paul before Agrippa and Bernice. We are nearing the end, if you can believe it, nearing the end of the telling of the history of the first 30 or so years of Christianity. It feels like ages ago, doesn't it? It feels like ages ago, all the way back in chapter 1, where the crowds witnessed Jesus ascending into heaven and into the sky, and then there was a dramatic outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem on His disciples. Uh, we've, we've been reading as we've gone through Acts about executions, earthquakes, crowds, mobs, miraculous healings, arrests, trials, prison escapes, oh, powerful prayer meetings where the room shook, shared meals all around Jerusalem, people, people dropping dead, heartfelt goodbyes, theological debates, and dramatic conversion experiences, and with only two chapters left, the book of Acts will not disappoint. The whole thing, cover to cover, a riveting, if you read it right, a riveting story of the beginnings of how God is saving the world through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's the book of Acts. And this morning... This morning, the Apostle Paul stands trial before King Agrippa. King Agrippa, who was, get this, put on your tinfoil hats, okay? King Agrippa was the son of Herod Agrippa I from back in Acts chapter 12, the Roman ruler who arrested the Apostle Peter and executed the Apostle James. King Agrippa this morning, when we read about him, is the son of Herod Agrippa I. And, and here's... And, and get this, the rabbit hole goes deeper. He is also the grandson, the grandson of Herod the Great. As in the king who heard the report from the wise men from the east of the birth of the Jewish king, the Messiah. He's the grandson of the king who had all the male children in Bethlehem murdered. This morning we read the account of Paul the Apostle standing trial before the grandson of the king who attempted to kill newborn Jesus. Would you look with me, Acts chapter 25, beginning with verse 13. I'll read through chapter 26. I love reading for you. I love reading for you. Verse 13, and then I'll pray. Luke writes, Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them, that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accuser's face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. Verse 17. So when they came together, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. Verse 18. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus 
who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, Would you like to hear the man myself? I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. Verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Mernice came with great pomp. And they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate, that is before you, King Agrippa, that I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself, Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blasphemy, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when they had fallen to the ground, I heard the voice, a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, 
I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, I, to appoint you as a, a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24. And as He was saying these things in His defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Except for these chains. Verse 30, then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The very words of God. Pray with me for understanding, Father. Father, again and again we open up your book and again and again you work in us. Strengthening us. Teaching us. Training us. Correcting us. Saving us. And so we simply pray, do it again. Do it again. Again, let your words thunder in our hearts. Change the very course of our lives. For your glory. For our good. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A long passage, one last trial. One last trial in the book of Acts. We've actually enjoyed a series of trials over the past few weeks, past few sermons, and if you think about it, it's interesting. It's interesting that Luke, the author Luke, chose to include so many details of these courtroom proceedings, so to speak, in, in his telling of the history of the early church. He didn't need to. It doesn't seem necessary, does it? He could have compressed it all into just some synopsis, as he does with so many other events, but he didn't. He didn't. And so I had to read it. <laughs> why, why do you think Luke, listen, uh, question, why, why do you think Luke used nearly, nearly 20% of his book to record the details of the Apostle Paul's trials. Isn't that an odd way to end the book? With the church on trial? The church in court? Some say this is because what Luke is really doing in the book of Acts, what Luke is really about in the book of Acts is he's building a case, a legal case for Paul to stand trial before Caesar in Rome. They argue, some would argue that the book of Acts is actually like a a legal brief. A legal brief. And that Theophilus, remember Theophilus? Oh, that individual Luke says he's writing the book of Acts for. Perhaps Theophilus is actually the Apostle Paul's defense attorney. The Apostle Paul's defense attorney, which is interesting. I told you to put on your tinfoil hats. Listen, but unfortunately, as much as I like a good conspiracy, <laughs> and you like me telling you about good conspiracies, we already know why Luke wrote Acts. To quote his introduction in part one, his gospel, Luke writes, it seemed good to me, Luke wrote, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. There's the reason. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Listen, Jesus warned us that this would happen. Jesus warned them that this would happen, that they were, and we are not above him, our teacher, and that like him, and this feels a lot like his trial, doesn't it? We would be persecuted, and that in our persecution, his gospel would advance. Jesus foretold this. Matthew records in in his gospel that Jesus said, beware of men, Mm, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And listen, Jesus said, this is, this is Jesus telling us what we should expect. And here we're watching it happen. Jesus said, when they deliver you over, and Paul has certainly been delivered over. When you, they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak. It is not you who speak, Jesus said, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Perhaps Luke recorded so much of Paul's trials. Here's my my opinion. Perhaps Luke recorded so much of Paul's trials for us 
Because it would be in situations like these that we would be most tempted to doubt that which we have been taught. And to be anxious about that which we would say. Not necessarily in the court of law, though that could certainly come. And as I travel around the country for our church, uh, that's what everyone thinks is going to happen in California, like in 2024 or something like that. But not necessarily, not necessarily in the court of law or before powerful people, but wherever God would take us in the court of public opinion, what, what will we say? Or in our workplaces, what, what will you say? Our schools, our families, our neighborhoods. Maybe all these details of Paul's legal defense and troubles are here. P part history, part lesson. Part lesson. And as we observe Paul's defense, it's not so much Paul's defense as it is the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus foretold and encouraged his disciples. It's the Spirit of God speaking through Paul. And therefore, us, you and I, today. Here, here we have before us in this last trial with all of its actors, every person in the scene pitying Paul. Pitying Paul. Poor Paul. At the end, poor, poor Paul, the apostle, a prisoner without a case. They don't even got a charge. Being passed off from judge to judge, stuck in the legal system, in the red tape, hated by his own people, a fool for even appealing to Caesar in the first place. Verse 24 of chapter 26, if you look with me, verse 24 of chapter 6, poor Paul. Luke writes, and as he, Paul, was saying these things in his defense, here's Paul's moment in the spotlight. As he's saying these things in his defense, Festus, one of the leaders, said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And if you haven't ever, if you don't know what that looks like, just watch YouTube. And, and when people are talking about stuff on you, their, learning, their great learning is driving them out of their minds. Paul is mocked. Poor, poor Paul. Paul is mocked by King Agrippa here at the end of the book of Acts for his attempts to evangelize him. Verse 27, if you look, verse 27, just below that next verse. Verse 27, King Agrippa. What an what a evangelistic question. King, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. It's like I would say, I don't, believe in, I don't believe in atheists. You might be an atheist. I, I don't believe. King, I know you believe. But what does Agrippa say to Paul? In a short time? <laughs> Would you persuade me to be a Christian? Oh, oh Paul. How, how embarrassing for Paul. If there was anyone who could throw, if there was someone who could throw a pity party, 
for himself, it was Paul. He didn't fit in. Nobody understood him. Nobody liked him. Nobody respected him. Everybody would eventually desert him. Most of the world wanted to kill him. Yet, as if he were completely oblivious, he had no social skills, to, did not noticing, oblivious to whatever everyone else around him was thinking and feeling about him. He was functioning, it would seem, on another plane, a higher plane, a different level. What does Paul say? As everyone says, no, Paul, you fool. Verse 26. Or, sorry, verse 29 of chapter 26. And, and as you look there, here it is. Here's the one verse. The entire scene, this entire passage builds towards this one statement. One sentence which captures, listen, which captures the essence of everything it means to be a Christian on mission. Everything to be a Christian right here. The defense of the faith, the defense of the church, who they are and where they're going and Paul to Rome and the church scattered here it is, verse 29 of chapter 26. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God. Hmm. The word there often translated wish. I would to God that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Or in other words, Paul in response to King Agrippa's complaint, oh, oh King, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand my intentions. Don't underestimate what I'm attempting to do. I don't only wish that you would be a Christian. I don't only wish that you would be a Christian. I wish that everyone would be a Christian. Poor Paul. Stop right there and just observe what an ending to the defense of the faith in the highest courts of the ancient world, who is feeling sorry for who? This is a powerful statement. Confession. A powerful revelation of the heart of the apostle. And, and I would lay on to that. The church. And on to that. What a powerful revelation of the heart of the Spirit of God the Father. We wish, Paul standing in our place, speaking the very words of God, we wish that everyone would be a Christian. We wish that everyone be a Christian. What an ending to the book of Acts. And it's going to get more exciting. Don't worry. we got shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff coming up. And it's going to end really abruptly. But 
last time, standing up defending the faith, the early church, the Apostle Paul going out, going out swinging. We wish that everyone would be a Christian. Let me, let me just make three brief statements. Three brief statements, if I were to fill that out for you. Statement number one, we, us, the church, representing the Father's heart for the world, we wish that everyone would be, first word, forgiven. Everyone would be forgiven for all their sins, for all of their evil deeds, for all of the ugliness that hides in the deepest recesses of their hearts, for those that are on one side of a war and those that are on the other side of the war. You pick your war. We got lots of them to choose from. We wish that everyone, everyone would be forgiven for their sins. Just as Jesus has forgiven us. Just as He has forgiven us. Make no mistake, it's, it's hard to miss it in Paul's testimony, if you've been tracking with Paul throughout the book of Acts and in all of his letters throughout the New Testament, it's hard to miss in Paul's testimony his awareness that he has been forgiven because he seems to repeat it so often and with such great detail. Paul is he's self-aware of this. Paul is a forgiven man. I wish that you would be like me. Forgiven. He has not forgotten where he came from. He's well acquainted, well acquainted with the one, the, the person who he once was to Timothy. He writes, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a rude and arrogant and disrespectful opponent, the foremost of sinners, right? The chief of sinners. To the Galatian churches, one of his earliest letters, he wrote, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. That's who Paul is. It's in his testimony right here before King Agrippa. I, in our text, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them, he said, before King Agrippa. I punished them often. And in a... And I, 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 I tried to get them to blasphemy. I, I tried to trip them up. And in a raging fury, that, that's his words, that's Paul's words about himself prior to being forgiven. In a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I literally hunted down Christians. And this is what Paul says. But now, I am one. I am one. And I wish that everyone would be as I am. This is the man who wrote, this is the man who wrote, but God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's writing that to a church that probably had some people in the congregation who knew somebody or were related to somebody that Paul had voted to be executed. This is a man who knew he was forgiven. He wrote, he wrote, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our 
trespasses. And that, that's not just a theoretical our trespasses, just generally speaking, my trespasses. According to the riches of His grace. He wrote, He has delivered us. Jesus has delivered us. The one I had been persecuting and kicking against. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. What? The forgiveness of sins. Listen, you and I who confess Christ, you and I who confess Christ, who have been cleansed and purified by the blood shed on the cross, as a sacrifice for our particular sins that he, that he didn't do and wasn't guilty for. He was cursed that we would be blessed, killed that we might, be li- that we might live, crushed that we might be healed. We go forgiven. We are forgiven. All our sins washed away. As Micah the pro- prophet wrote, and Paul said, King Agrippa, you believe this. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. Who does not, who's a God like you who does not retain his anger forever? Because he delights in steadfast love. There's the Father's heart being revealed. (laughs) Micah said, Micah prophesied. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. As the writer of Hebrews says, oh, just thinking about this, what we have experienced that we are forgiven and we want everyone to be forgiven. He will be merciful towards our iniquities and He will remember our sins no more. Listen, listen. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and you can be reconciled to Him. This is our confession. In spite of your sin, in fact, you are helpless without Him and will perish if you remain remain in rebellion against Him. You can't win. Make no mistake. We wish, Sovereign Grace Church of Orange, We wish everyone, that everyone would be forgiven. Those who pity us, may they be forgiven. Those who oppose us, may they be forgiven. Would that God forgave them. Those who oppress you, abuse you, take advantage of you, You suffer at their hands injustice and sin, even thinking, and they might be Christians themselves, forgiven. May they be forgiven for all their sins. Those who mock you, who hate you. As Paul writes to 2 Corinthians, we implore you. Hear, hear. We implore everyone. Equal opportunity. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What does Paul say? Paul Paul writes to the Corinthians, for our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Forgiven, 
cleansed, made perfect. And so we're not ashamed. We're not ashamed to say that we wish everyone, that everyone would be forgiven for every one of their sins just as we are. That's our testimony, our story. It's our witness. It's our goal for the glory of God. Second statement. Paul says, I wish that everyone would be like me, which is quite an odd statement as he's in chains. Second statement, we wish that everyone would be, and I'm going to bring this, bur- this phrase back, born again. We wish that everyone would be born again. I love this phrase, for it's so unpopular today. It almost makes you cringe, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you a little cringe just a little bit because of how, how it's been used and abused and misunderstood in our context today? As if being born again, this is this, the polls, this is how even statistically when they look at the United States and they look at religion and faith in the United States, as if born again is a particular kind of Christian. It's not. It's not. In fact, it's all that there is. To be a Christian is to be born again. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the great work of the Spirit in us. This is our testimony, and we want everyone to experience this, not just to be forgiven, not just to be unburdened from their sin, which is impossible, it all connects together, but but just to experience some sort of relief and peace. I feel better because I'm part of a church. No, I want you to be born again. The great work of the Spirit bringing dead to life. Raising us to new life as we're united to His resurrected Son. Isn't it fascinating, illuminating, listen, to see that every part of Paul's defense, even here at the end, from the beginning to the end, to the, to the accusations, to the theological debate that's going on here, all of it centers around this one confession. The resurrection. They didn't move on to like more interesting things or social justice issues. They're getting in trouble. Paul's in trouble because of the resurrection. Because although, although they would claim Jesus is dead, even in chapter 26, don't be fooled. The ancients, they were just as scientific as we were. He appears dead. But Paul is claiming that he's alive. And the book of Acts is about the continuing acts of the risen Christ. Paul's defense for chapter upon chapter at the end of the book of Acts is all centered on this one reality. The reality that's been the one reality holding the entire book of Acts together, namely that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. He is namely alive. He is alive and now seated on the throne in heaven, conducting the affairs of all of creation, moving everything. We heard that this morning, even from Christy, moving as he opens up the scrolls, holding all of history in his hands, moving everything towards its appointed end. A regeneration. That's what born again speaking about. A regeneration of all things, starting with him and then us. And then the world. Here's straight out of our statement of faith. If you ever wonder what we believe, 
and, and, and we don't believe anything novel, but if, if you want to hear us articulate what we believe about stuff like this, you could just look on our website and our statement of faith, and it at least gives you a pretty good outline. I don't know, it's like 80 pages on a PDF, so <laughs> some good night reading <laughs> before bed. But here it is, straight out of our statement of faith. When we're talking about this kind of stuff, this is what we believe. God, listen, and Paul's doing this, and you're doing this. God commands the gospel to be proclaimed to all people everywhere. But all people are spiritually dead and unable to respond to this saving news. Here comes the born again. Therefore, God graciously and effectually calls to Himself those He chose to save in Christ through the proclamation of the Gospel. The Holy Spirit regenerates. Regenerates the elect, those that He is saving, and brings them into a, a living union. There you go, being born again. A living union with Christ, bestowing new spiritual life. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being born again. Bestowing new spiritual life, opening their eyes. Has this not happened to you? It's happened to me. Opening their eyes to see God's glory and Christ and enabling them to respond to the gospel in faith and repentance with a renewed, oh listen, heart and mind. New creatures. A renewed heart and mind, we receive Christ and rely on Him for salvation. Turning from our sinful, seeking ways of life to love and follow Christ in joyful obedience. That's what we believe. We want everyone, we wish that everyone would be born again. Forgiven for their sins, released from the curse of of their sins, as Paul writes elsewhere, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal, God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I joke with people sometimes. I might have joked with you when you arrived at the church. Sometimes people come in and sometimes they leave, but if I get a chance and they commend you, whether they know they're commending you or not, they'll, they'll often say to me, I guess we'll say, there's just something different about this church. And I don't mean our building, which we don't own, or me, or, but, but us. There's just something different. And, and I'll often facetiously just say, this is because they're all Christians. And what I mean by that is they're, they're all born again. Not culturally, intellectually, historically, spiritually born again listen we'll proclaim his gospel to everyone looking searching searching seeking hoping praying that here and there everywhere in old town orange all across orange county california that god would grant new spiritual life spiritual life that they would be born again this is the man and he wants them to be like he is who wrote, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We wish that everyone would be born again. Third statement, final statement, briefly. Everyone would be forgiven. Everyone would would experience new life in Christ. And Paul's doing it right here in the courtroom. It's a little gutsy. We wish that everyone would join us. We wish that everyone would be forgiven and born again and would join us in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone else who will listen. In spreading the joy. That's what we always say around here, kind of just our way of saying. Spreading the joy of Jesus throughout all of Old Town Orange, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the places that we recreate and we have fun in the the places online where we're talking to one another and and just engaging with our culture everyone to everyone who listen we would preach the gospel inviting them not only to be forgiven for all their sins and be reconciled with god not only to experience this new life this new spiritual life that courses through our veins which is christ himself living in us his life in us but also that they would then join us and if it looks like we still have some more people we're looking for to join us, because you look around the room and say, not all of us, not everyone's here. You're right. Join us. Not, not necessarily Sovereign Grace Church, but churches like us proclaiming the gospel. Brothers and sisters who have been forgiven and are born again and now live with this impulse. Remember who's speaking here. It's not Paul who speaks as he's dragged before the governor's but the Spirit of the Father. Feel the impulse, the heart, the heart of the Apostle, the heart of God, the heart of our church, the heart of heaven. Sending. See how Paul's testimony can't be broken apart, taken away from his being sent. This great commission that Paul experiences is right there in his testimony. One one commenter said, it would seem that Saul, Paul, fell to the ground as a persecuting Pharisee and got up a few minutes later as a Christian missionary. So so to us, it would seem as if Paul was hunting down Christians. And this is what he says to the Romans. He writes, this is is what happened immediately in his heart. Um, He writes, I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He hit the ground. Hit the ground as a persecutor of Christ Himself. And rose a missionary. Sent. And so we also are sent 
calling people to join us, following the risen Christ in His triumph as His kingdom spreads. It spreads in our hearts, it spreads in our families, in our households, inside our church and throughout our community and other gospel-proclaiming churches. We, we're sent spreading this message of the risen Christ. We preach a risen resurrection Christ, resurrected Christ. We, we preach a resurrection from the dead. In fact, this is, the, this is the one who wrote back in Corinthians. Well, actually, it was being written about this time. He writes, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, what does he say? We are of all people most to be pitied. I agree, Paul would say, with the court. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, here's what we, we are of all people most to be pitied, but this is what he writes. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen away. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. This is why. This is why. We preach a resurrection from the dead and we preach a joy in joining Jesus and spreading His, His kingdom, His salvation to all who will listen. We wish that everyone, would you, would you wish that everyone would be a Christian? Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for recording again the events that if it were not for you and your your people we would not have it before us today we can we can turn these pages and read them as if we're just observers and rejoice in the faithfulness of Paul and these brothers and sisters but yet it turns on to our hearts as well do we believe what they believe have we experienced this forgiveness? Have we been born again? Have we confessed in the resurrection from the dead? Have we been undeterred in our proclamation of this truth to others that others might experience everything that we have? Oh Lord, would You do it in our hearts today? Would You save those that hear but have not yet believed? Lord, would you use us that more would join us in spreading your joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.